Gracious God, may only your words be spoken and your words be heard. Amen. I have a simple question. What tables need overturning in your life? What thoughts, words, or deeds might there be in the temple of your heart, the temple of your mind, body, or soul that Jesus needs to drive out? Let's set the stage for the asking of that question. Very seldom, actually almost never, have I heard someone say, you know, I had no idea that I was stealing. I had no idea that I was murdering or committing adultery. Or I had no idea I was working seven days a week. When we're not keeping one of the Ten Commandments, or when we are otherwise sinning, we pretty much know it. We're aware of it. We know we are violating a commandment. We may choose to do it, to break the commandment anyway. We may feel powerless to change. We may hope that God doesn't notice or care. We may rationalize or justify what we're doing. But in those cases, in the cases of stealing and murder and adultery or not keeping a Sabbath day of rest, generally, those are the kind of sins, the kind of unhealthy behaviors that no one has to come up to us and point out or shine a light on because at one level we already know what we're doing is wrong. We're aware that at one level that we're sinning, that we're engaging in behaviors that draw us away from the love of God, doing things that are not in keeping with the first and great commandment, to love God and love our neighbors as ourselves. Today, however, and looking at today's gospel, we are invited to consider another kind of sin, another kind of unhealthy behavior. Those that we do while we think that we're doing the right thing, a good thing, a just thing. In today's gospel, Jesus overturns the tables creates and makes a whip of cords and uses it to drive out the money changers and the animal sellers from the temple. Why? Why would he do that? What drove Jesus to this outburst of anger? Yes, anger. By the way, I, I'm not sure where we picked up the idea that anger itself, anger per se, is a bad thing. I'm not sure where we picked up the idea that anger is inherently destructive. But wherever we picked it up from, it wasn't from the Gospels. Yes, misdirected anger 
is destructive. When we're angry about something at work and we take it out on our spouse or kids, or vice versa. Yes, bottled up or unexpressed anger can be bad because it explodes in hostility. The kids are playing the TV too loud in the other room, you're trying to read or have a conversation. It's a minor irritation at first, but instead of saying right away, hey, could you turn that down a bit? Instead of saying that when it first occurs to you, you try to ignore it until you can't anymore, and then you explode. That's anger coming out as hostility. And passive aggressive anger is unhealthy. Indirect attacks in the form of whisper campaigns, gossip, and rumor spreading. So while there are good and not so good, godly and not so godly ways to deal with our anger, there is nothing inherently bad or ungodly about anger itself. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Imagine that scene for a minute. Do you think that Jesus sat down and carefully braided a whip and then stood up and walked slowly over to people and said, I don't want to have to use this. So if it's not terribly inconvenient, could you please take these things out of here? Do you think he politely poured out the coins and said, excuse me, could, could you please clear out the rest of your things from that table? In a few minutes, I'd like to turn it over and I don't want to create a scene. Did he say, I prefer it if you would stop making my father's house a marketplace. No. Jesus sounds angry in this gospel story because he is angry. And there's nothing wrong with anger. Anger is an indication that something is at stake, that you care. It's an indication that something matters, something has been violated. The opposite of love is not anger. The opposite of love is apathy, apathos, not caring. So, what was at stake? What did Jesus care so deeply about? What did he care so much for? What mattered so much? Here's the thing. It was not blatant wrongdoing. Listen, when people are engaged in blatant wrongdoing, Jesus' response is compassion and tenderness. When you're doing wrong and you know you're doing wrong, and he turned to God for help. You are the prodigal son who drifted far away, came to himself, and started to return home and saw Father 
running out to embrace him. In those cases, God rushes out to greet you and embraces you. And that forgiveness that God offers in those cases, that embrace, that grace, that mercy, that's not yours in some once-in-a-lifetime way. It's not a one-time reprieve that you better not blow. That is true on a daily basis. God's mercy is new every day. And each and every day that we turn back to God, each and every day, God is nothing but tender and forgiving. But that's not what's going on here in the temple. These people are not doing wrong and knowing it. They thought they were doing good. They probably thought they were being obedient, helping even. Remember, people in this socioeconomic religious milieu, they had to make a sacrifice. And they had to make that sacrifice with an unblemished animal. Unblemished animals are hard to find. Even if you have one, it would be difficult, if not impossible, to get it to Jerusalem unblemished. So, unblemished animals were sold there where you made the sacrifice. But in order to buy one, you had to have currency that did not bear the image of the emperor. So you had to exchange currency. So the actions of the cattle and sheep and dove sellers and the actions of the currency exchangers, they're providing these sacrificial animals and they're converting this money that did not bear the effigies or the idols. Those were not intrinsically wrong behaviors. They were perfectly legal. It's hard to come up with a modern day analogy because all this scene is wrapped up in huge religious socioeconomic norms from more than 2,000 years ago. But I think, as a modern day analogy, of someone who is driving exactly 55 miles an hour, exactly the speed limit, in the left lane on a busy interstate highway. When someone does that, people in the real world who are going above the speed limit are forced to pass that person on the right. It's within that person's rights to drive the speed limit in any lane. They are not doing anything wrong, and they probably think they are doing something right. The irony is, of course, by strictly observing a law intended to increase safety, the unintended consequence is that that driver is making the roadway more stressful and more dangerous for everyone. Spiritually speaking, we are at our worst when we are at our best. The problem with the money changers and the animal sellers, what made Jesus angry is that they turned his father's house, a place where you could come into the near presence of God and feel God, to be moved by God, to be inspired by God, to be carried away by God, to be loved by God. They had turned that place 
into a marketplace. They made the worship of God transactional. They took the mystery and the majesty and the unpredictability of God and reduced it to the license branch. Line up at window A. Tell them the nature of your transaction and wait for your number to be called. When Jesus walked into that temple, instead of finding people moving around in reverent silence or chanting the songs or a cantor calling people to worship, he heard the equivalent of now serving D-135, sacrifice of two turtle doves at window 12. We laugh. But can we allow that to hit home? What is it about your relationship with God that has become transactional? As long as I do this, God will do this. What about your relationship with those closest to you? Your spouse, your partner, your son or daughter, a colleague. What mold do you have them in? And when they begin to break out of that mold, do you feel threatened or do you feel delighted? What mental currency do you need poured out on the floor? What left lane are you currently perfectly within your rights to occupy? but are not glorifying God or being a source of love or kindness or comfort to others in? What tables need overturning in your life? What thoughts, words, or deeds might there be in the temple of your heart, the temple of your mind, body, or soul, that Jesus needs to drive out this Lent and make room for the glorious, loving, forgiving, expansive, generous God. Amen.